Welcome to the Sean Boy Podcast. Greetings and welcome, minions. It is I, Uni King. I am uh, infiltrating your ears to bring you exciting episode number 24. Episode 24. I always said if I made it to 25 of these, I'd renew my commitment and go all the way to 100 next. So I have great news. I'm in this for the long haul. The friction to withstand the sandpaper. I am a unicorn king, and this means I transmit to you my feelings, and more importantly, relevant, but maybe, something you ain't never heard, and a subject that intrigues you, you know, gives you a different perspective on a very active part of your being. So, new news in the Sean Boy cast, I will be continuing this shenanigans on today's podcast uh, the very last thing that I go over there is what I've entitled the podcast and that is uh, letting it all really go and uh, that's all about how to properly really let go and uh, I think if you listen to that and give it a one in to the ear and actually into your brain process it all it uh probably be helpful do about 15 20 minutes on that then right before that we have current events which i call and entitled the w game the winning game i go over how that might not be so good if all your attitude is is to win all the time that might not be the best thing for you go over that and before that close to the beginning there is of course Sean's live and local sounds and today I'm happy to announce it's going to be the red skies at night and that consists of myself and Jason Rolstein a two piece doing covers and originals today we did four originals and two covers I kind of picked out the best songs from rehearsals that we've been doing i ain't seen oh jason in a while there but i've been busy and i'm sure he's been busy too but if you're listening buddy we will get back together here pretty soon and run through these again all right now of course always at the beginning of every show right after the greeting which is this meow uh i have a little funny part and again, this week's is uh, Great Heckle Moments in History, featuring this episode, number 24, Patrice O'Neill. Well, for today's joke section here, It's a continuation of uh, great moments and heckle history. And I think one of the best at this ever, and he's uh, passed on and gone to that blue wonder above us, 
somewhere, I guess. And that would be Patrice O'Neill. Patrice O'Neill was a comedian. And he used to be on the Opie and Anthony show a lot. And uh, he fit right into that whole thing. Because that show was about being real and uh, really having an entertaining radio show that worked. And Patrice really, (laughs) he really circled that show quite out roundly. (laughs) But uh, one thing I always loved Patrice O'Neill is every now and then you'd catch him in the news or something. And he would just, uh, he would state his case and most, well, about 100% of the time, I agreed with all he said. (laughs) And uh, he was very... If he were alive today, he would he would have took over. I'm pretty sure he would have took over if he were alive today. But uh, this is a little part where he went on Fox News, and like there's this lady, she's you know censorship and into you know shutting people down that are comics or anything she didn't find that was good for the constituents that she was representing. And, you know, just like you'll hear Patrice saying here, he was representing funny. Is it funny? Like, you can tell a rape joke and it may be funny. Some people are going to laugh and then some people are going to be like, that's disgusting. So it's about the attempt of the joke and not necessarily the joke. And with that, here's the clip that I am describing. So next up on the chopping block, XM Satellite Radio DJs Opie and Anthony, they're under fire now for airing joking comments about raping Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Will they be the next to go? Is radio cleaning house? after the Imus debacle. With me now, New City President, now New City President, Sonia Osario. She took part in a recent protest calling for radio stations to stop supporting negative language in music and talk radio, and also our favorite stand-up comic, Patrice O'Neill. Oh, thank you, sir. Patrice, uh, are ONA next? I hope not. I hope JV, I wish JV and I was going to lose their job or Imus. It's funny, this is the thing, I, I have, I don't, know her, but I'm, a, I'm assuming that she has nothing to do with funny. So I'm going to speak as the expert on funny. Funny people should just be left to try to be funny. What if, what if they're not funny? Then you made a mistake. But how many, listen, how many times has an unfunny, how many f- unfunny rape jokes lead to rape? Like, no, I don't know how many jokes about rape there are. There's a lot. But your, your world is not funny. Your world is uh, next, next on the big story. <laughs> My world is people trying to be funny. Well, I mean, you, you think it's okay to try to make jokes about rape? I'm diabetic. I make fun of that. I'm a victim. I might lose a toe. But I'm trying to make fun of I'm trying to make fun of anything I, I think I can make fun of. Sonia? You know, what's happening now is the marketplace. Okay. Is 
deciding what's appropriate or what's not appropriate is i think the nation is just tired there's a new mood in the nation what nation the nation you know what we're tired of things that are just the nation is paper and you i'm not the nation i'm just speaking for me and funny you're speaking for the nation or you speaking for yeah you know why because i remember six years ago doing something against anthony opening because they were just so outrageous and they're violent images that they put out to women was just uncalled for. And now, now, I think people... You think they were trying to be funny? I think now people in this country are tired. Do you think they were trying to be funny? You know what? I don't care if they're trying to be funny. That's what I'm saying. Why are you in that business? I've been to your show once, and it wasn't very funny being a woman. It was hilarious. When you talked about... That's why she doesn't like me. I was in the paper with her, and the joke is hilarious, called The Angry Pirate. And the lady who wrote it in in her outrage didn't even know what it meant. And anybody who read it laughed because they know what funny. You're not living in the context of funny. You're living in the context of fire. Have every right to be as funny as they want. They can go out and try to be as funny as they want. Make as much funny. Make as much money being as funny as they want. This is what's happening. There is a change in this country. People are realizing they have an opportunity to speak out. And advertisers are listening. You're Radio not talking. You're not talking. Sonia, I'm talking to who I talk to. And you're to. not going to get paid as much money anymore. Sonia and Patrice, That's look at this. The marketplace More is CBS speaking. Radio fire ants. They've been on the. They've been on a tear lately. All right. Are they cleaning house, or is this the PC cops run amok? You know what it is, John. You know what it is. Why you read that paper? It's the PC cops run amok. Do you think Who's she's the PC, the PC cop? cop? Of course she is. She's. She has an entire encyclopedia of, of her stance on it, but it's no passion involved. It's not a real, this is just what she has to say. We are outraged and oh, fired and fired and fired. Name calling. I'm outraged. I am outraged. You should, be. you should be. I am a fool. Now, if I called you a fool, ah! You know what? People are feeling a new sense of entitlement. Who are these people? In this country. Who are the people? A new How can sense you, of entitlement. So here's, what, here's my question. How can you justify a bad joke, a joke that isn't funny? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Go ahead. That isn't funny, doesn't get any laughs, and is about raping a the first black woman to ever become the Secretary of State of the United States. You throw that at me. Well, why not? The the attempt is what I'm trying to fight for. The joke may or may, funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth that you you don't know if anything is going to be funny you should attempt don't to be you, able to make anything don't you funny you think a joke about rape is doomed to be not funny it's possible but i've heard them i've heard you've em. heard a funny rape joke uh, i say a couple watch my hbo special i'm pretty good at it yeah patrice will, patrice says that if you're having sex with a woman doggy style and if you wrong hit her in the hit her in the head just the right no, time it's ejaculate in her eye and kick her in the shin <laughs> and she walks around like Arg! it's the angry pirate no, no, that's no. what she was he trying said, to say a violent act of hitting her in the back of her head her body it's called the doggy punch which will then why are you laughing She's outraged. It's called the donkey punch. It's whole humor that she has no Here's clue what it is. the same problem that Opie and Anthony does. You can't say just anything on the air. You can say anything you want. It might not be funny. You might get in trouble for it, but you should be able to be attempted. And plus, when is a crazy bum going to get an opportunity to rape the president? If the, the president's wife, John? Why is trying to be funny? All right, Patrice, why aren't I hearing Al Sharpton complain about this thing involving Congress? Because it wasn't involving uh, young uh, black women. 
Well, it's involving a very prominent black woman. Well, where was she during during young black? Everybody has their agenda. I was there. I was there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Excuse me. Well, why I'm, am I not hearing from Sharpton? Because it doesn't concern him. It's not concerning him. It's black. It's, you know, come on now. You know, Al, ha Al Sharpton has his agenda, and it was perfect for Al. Young black women. And now she's representing just women in general. She's not representing the nappy hoe part. She's well, representing the just the hoe. The nappy-headed part, she has nothing to do with. Just the hoe. So, yeah. You know what? Women have been abused publicly in the media for too long, and people are tired of it. This has been a beautiful response of just the general public saying to advertisers, we're your consumers, we don't wanna have to avoid everything in the street, we don't wanna have to worry about what radio station we turn on, and there is some really derogatory, violent You're gonna thing get to all deal your with. information, uh, ma'am, is secondhand from someone making you uh, aware that someone may said something that you should be upset about. It's a shame. Your constituents, the people you represent aren't all victims in this matter. Teresa O'Neill, thank it's you very much. Sonia Osorio, thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. Time for big politics. You know, I think it's fair and important the way that Patrice O'Neill reacted to that young lady there. And uh, the reason I think it's important is because of freedom of speech. I don't like what white supremacists say about black folk. But if we're being fair, even they deserve their stupid platform to say whatever the hell they want is as awful as that is but you know to have true freedom of speech you should be able to say whatever you want but as soon as you harm somebody or hurt somebody or you incite violence in a way that is you're wanting to hurt someone by what you say then you should be held accountable. That's just my belief anyway, though. Well, on to some music. Welcome to Sean's Live and Local Sounds. Today on the podcast, I'll be showcasing Jason Rothstein and myself again with our new band, The Red Skies at Night. Got a couple cover songs and then uh, four original songs in between there, so I kind of ordered them that way. I picked the best songs that we went through through rehearsal to put on here and showcase a new band that happens to be mine. And, uh, yeah, so... I'm going to go ahead and shut up and just showcase some music and let me know if you like it.
Today in current events, I'm going to go over what I've entitled the W game, the win game. When you got to, you know, somebody's always got to be a winner, someone's always got to be a loser. Either you're a Democrat or a Republican. Either you're messy or you're not. So this whole game kind of theory thing is, I'm going to go into that. And I was watching a Joe Rogan podcast, of course, and it was with two... It was with two very, very intelligent men. And I think they have a podcast called Wrongful Convictions Podcast. And uh, from the information I've gathered from them two individuals, it's alarming. And first of all, I would like to go into my history into so-called some bad people or people that's been in jail, or you've done time, or even you're a convicted felon. I have sympathy for these people because they have experienced a life inside those walls that a lot of Americans don't get. You know, when you have to live your life by structure and somebody else's authority, even as harsh and as crazy that is, it does teach them something. Now, what it teaches them is ultimately probably not good and bad. But some of the best soldiers I ever served with in the United States Army were people that were in trouble with the law and had a choice to go into the Army or do some prison time. And those soldiers right there, nine times out of ten, turned out to be the best fucking soldiers I could ever serve with. And that's just how I feel about it inmates that's done time not against them at all now if you really did do something wrong and you're a pedophile or you did something heinous like kill someone for little gain or just no right you know you didn't anyway but anyway I, I wrote some stuff down as I'm listening to this from the Joe Rogan experience I kind of wrote my deep little feelings on the whole thing. And it kind of goes like this. Called the W game. Everything is on the table. Colored pieces of different identity castings. Oh God, I'm the shoe syndrome. I can say that all human endeavors and growth are mind states that is governed by the ones at the top of their peers that are all in the game and not totally free to make any rules for the game. So, as you know, in games, there's always cheaters. Guess what other games people play? There's the job game, the bills game, holy shit, I have kids now game. No offense, parents. There's the law game prosecutors always want to win and so do fence lawyers love to play this game as well do we accept the law can make mistakes of course we do there is an ungodly amount of people going in and out of prison 
for pretty much things that really do nothing to add to one's lives or anybody else's or their own. These people are totally normal good people. And when wrongly when we're wrongly convicted for decades, there is no getting that time back. If all you do to live life is, I want to win, that's like saying, I'm ignoring everything else. So you continue this, I want to win game. And then some poor soul that didn't have to be in jail for all those 15 years has to deal with the trauma that goes with that. Sometimes you have to give up the win or pursuit of it to look at the actual reality of what is taking place. In reality, the hard truth is known, but in people's heads, the win is more important. Things are not fully given the attention that it needs, like the large number of wrongful convictions in the U.S., continental U.S., You see, in some cases, the law becomes the perpetrator and the accused is really the victim. Oh, I'm the shoe is a state of mind people have put themselves into because my situation is more than your situation or my status is more than your status. And I got to win syndrome always outshines the small details that take what really happened. That was some of my thoughts as I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast about wrongful convictions in America. I look upon all the people I know and there ain't a lot of people I know with problem background, maybe one or two, but Every one of these people that are out and don't go back in, don't associate with people that stay in trouble all the time. There's enough trouble as being a human being without all the extra just bullshit that you don't have to go through if you don't want to put yourself in it. But I do think it's very important that we include these people, especially of small misdemeanors or, I mean, drug-related shit. It's like, why do they go to a prison? There used to be a place that we could take people that had mental problems. It's called an institute. And then you fill the institute up with people that are qualified to handle people like that. And then, you know, Real change happens and people actually start putting plus signs on the planet before they leave. And that'd be good. But we're on to my personal take. And uh, if you're hyping you up with all that, we're going to calm you down with how to let it all really go.
For this episode of my personal take, I'm going to convey why letting it all really go is really all about. To start off correct, I'm going to play a six and a half minute clip by a professor and a guy that talked about Zen and uh, really gave some of the best lectures on Eastern traditions. He is a being uh, that sums up perfect what I'm going to talk about for 20 minutes or so here. So without further ado, this is uh, Alan Watts talking about letting go. Music, as an art form, is essentially playful. We say you play the piano. You don't work the piano. Why? Music differs from, say, travel. When you travel, you are trying to get somewhere. And, of course, we, because being a very compulsive and purposive culture, are busy getting everywhere faster and faster and faster till we eliminate the distance between places. I mean, with the modern jet travel, you can arrive almost instantaneously. What happens as a result of that is that the two ends of your journey become the same place. So you eliminate the distance and you eliminate the journey. Because the fun of the journey is to travel, not to obliterate travel. So then, in music, though, one doesn't make the end of a composition the point of the the composition. If that were so, the best conductors would be those who played fastest. (laughs) And there would be composers who wrote only finales. (laughs) People go to concert just to hear one crashing chord, because that's the end. Same way in dancing. You don't aim at a particular spot in the room. That's where you should arrive. The whole point of the dancing is the dance. Look at the people who live to retire and put those savings away. And then when they're 65, they don't have any energy left. They're more or less impotent. And uh, they go and rot in an old people's senior citizens community. <laughs> Because we've simply cheated ourselves the whole way down the line. We thought of life by analogy with a journey, with a pilgrimage, which had a serious purpose at the end. And the thing was to get to that end, success or whatever it is, or maybe heaven after you're dead. But we missed the point the whole way along. It was a musical thing and you were supposed to sing or to dance while the music was being played. You had to do that thing. You didn't let it happen. And so, for this, in this way, the human being sometimes becomes an organism for self-frustration. Let's take uh, Kozhebsky called man a time binder. That means that he's the animal peculiarly aware of the time sequence and as a result of this is able to do some very remarkable things he can predict he studies what's happened in the past 
And he says the chances are so-and-so of that happening again. So he predicts. Of course, it's very useful to be able to predict because that has survival value. But at the same time, it creates anxiety. You pay for this increased survival ability involved in prediction by knowing that in the end you won't succeed. They're all going to fall apart by one way or another. It might happen tomorrow, it might happen 50 years from now, but it all comes apart in the end. And people get worried about that, they get anxious. So what they gained on the roundabout, they lost on the swings. So then, if you see, on the other hand, that existence, this is, as I said, my basic metaphysical assumption, which I won't conceal from you, that existence is musical in nature. That is to say that it is not serious. It is the play of all kinds of patterns. We can look upon different creatures as we look at different games, as we look at chess, checkers, backgammon, tennis, with the tree game, the beetle game, the grass game, or you can look at them as you look at different styles of music, mazurkas, waltzes, um, sonata, etc., etc., all down the line. There are all these different things doing their stuff. And we're doing that. Now, existence, you see, is something that is spontaneous. The Chinese word for nature, zhiran, uh, means that which happens of itself. Your hair grows by itself. Your heart beats by itself. You breathe pretty much by itself. Your glands secrete their essences by themselves. You don't have voluntary control over these things. So we say it happens spontaneously. So when you go to sleep and you try to go to sleep, you interfere with the spontaneous process of going to sleep. Try to breathe, you know, real hard, and you find you get balled up in your breathing. So, uh, if you, you're going to be human, you just have to trust yourself to have bowel movements and go to sleep and digest your food. Uh, of course, if something goes seriously wrong and you need a surgeon, that's another matter. But by and large, uh, the healthy human being uh, doesn't, right from the start of life, need surgical interference. And he lets it happen by, by itself. So, so with the whole picture, that is fundamental to it. You've got to let go and let it happen. Because if you don't, you're going to be all clutched up. <coughs> you're going to be constantly trying to do what can happen healthily only if you don't try. For today's My Personal Take, I am going over what I've entitled Letting It All Really Go. Letting it go is a real problem for people. Because you're calling attention to a problem or state that you're currently in. Some people live in a permanent state of mind. I must have that. Blinding paths of poor outcomes. Always wanting to attain something. With little gain in reality, 
and maybe even a lot of cases a more destructive outcome with having a permanent state of mind. We live in an impermanent world in reality. In reality, we live in a decaying state of play in the universe. All dies and life has limits. The natural law is that nothing lasts. I believe nature is the fingerprint to existence. And our one true tool to live a balanced life with the higher power or state it came from. The number one thing that people always get attached to before anything else is comfort. You may think going the easy way around is the smartest way, but if you avoid the difficult road, you actually learn less. When you avoid the grind of what you're trying to get through and don't really get in there and learn every little push that you can get to farther yourself, well, you're not learning as much as you can. And uh, sometimes people get too used to comfort. And then uh, you become a problem because all of the rules you've set for your ego and how you run your life is unattainable in reality. That can happen to you. Then you have to start thinking about something which uh, I've researched a little bit on from many different sources. And uh, it's going to lead into some other things I'm going to talk about here. But this particular little bit of information mainly came from a Jordan Peterson on ego death. Ego death is when something is so catastrophic, it's effects, it affects your past, present, and future memories. When this collapses it, collapses, it is what Carl Jung called the self, and it is what's left across all ego deaths. The self is an archetypal, archetypical and uh, rebuilds the ego when it collapses. There's two kinds of states of ego death. There's voluntary ego death. You learn a whole lot about a lot of different things. It's like you're the phoenix rising from its own ashes. You burn out the old you and rise from your own ashes. And then there's involuntary ego death. This could mean something catastrophic within a family, a death, domestic problems that really change your whole worldview because it's too much. You know, one thing I think about when I research all this and that's a question that I've always had 
is can you speak from the core of your being? Is this the self? <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever answered that yet. A little bit of my opinion here is uh, who is talking? My ego or the self? While the ego is talking, the self is not being realized fully. It just can't. So that then is stored in memory. And if the ego deems it important enough, and that becomes images that inform how you act. And um, sometimes when you're caught in that mode, you know, if you're a criminal and you're doing some mischievous things, those become your actions. And that's not good. Now, another little source here you can think about as sort of an ego death, but it's something totally different and not really traumatic is something called the philosophy of flow. And uh, the Tao Te Ching, written by Lao Tzu, contemporary of Confucius, uh, there's something called Wu Wei. Wu Wei means non-action, effortless action, action of non-action. So really, Wu Wei covers all the bases of uh, non-action there. And if you really think about those three terms I just listed, it's, uh, it's the same thing that athletes experience, the zone. Musicians experience it, artistic types, painters. Actually, in the opening words to the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, the Tao that can be described is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be spoken is not the eternal name. That's in chapter one. Also another little saying uh, coming from chapter eight is, the supreme good is like water, which benefits all of creation without trying to compete with it. It gathers in unpopular places. Thus, it is like the Tao. Water is the softest and most yielding substance. Yet nothing is better than water for overcoming the hard and rigid rock because nothing can compete with it. I added rock at the end of rigid, but uh, it just originally says hard and rigid. So... And that was from chapter 78, I think. It's a little bit more in the Tao Te Ching, but always like that. It's only when you turn off that brain thinking do you experience flow, though. So just like an ego death, you're reduced to self and you're just in a new paradigm and everything is stopped and just can't believe what's happening or whatever. If it was involuntary. But, uh, yeah. 
you know, I think the art of letting go is really digging deep and thinking about all the things you're attached to and identities that you have and really sorting those out to what they really are. And that's not very easy in some cases because some people are parents, some people are children, you know, it's a weird thing to kind of go through. Most people use distractions to assist themselves in letting things go. Inevitably, this doesn't work. A distraction is deeper than it suggests and has one underlying reoccurring theme to it, in my opinion. That is the word desire. Why did you get distracted? Because of another desire to do this instead? Real awareness of your own desires shows the utility of the reality. If you know how to read yourself, not unreal and emotionally driven awareness, ego awareness, just pure true awareness in a unbiased way of paying attention to yourself. If you want to inquire into who you are and see it from a balanced, fair point of view and need a way to see it, well, what I did was this. This is one of the first meditations I tried and it still serves me today quite well. And I get this from the mindfulness meditation. And mindfulness is just being an observer of yourself. So I made myself an observer. And the most important part of this meditation or technique or way to peel away at yourself and see what you are. If you want to do that, you make yourself an observer. The only job of this observer is to observe. That's it. That's all he does. He just simply observes. Next time you're sitting there and you're getting mad and pissed off at somebody or whatever, this observer in the background should go, oh, wow, I'm getting really mad. Oh, look at me. I'm leveling out now. Oh, everything's calming down. You're not reacting the way you're reacting in the moment. You have this guy off to the side or part of you that just simply observes what you're doing. It's called mindfulness. And that has served me well even today. So, once I made myself an observer, I then uh, worked on my attachments. And uh, this is where I started following, getting into Jay Krishnamurti. So, what is an attachment? An attachment could be a material thing, property, survival instincts without without a threat belief and faith 
And I'm not attacking either one of those. Those are very good, virtuous things, belief and faith. But this is still, this these two words, these two beliefs and faiths can still be an attachment. So, what is the cause of holding on? Why can't we let go? Why do we have so many attachments? And you may not think that you have an attachment. But your very existence and what you do in it and what, what you have produced, especially if you've got offspring and kids, you have an attachment to being a father. You have an attachment to being a person that goes out and gets the money and puts bread on the table. You have all these attachments. You have an attachment to your toothbrush. You also have an attachment to video games if you're into that. Which, nothing to knock video games, eh? Blame away with people, whatever. But, the brain is a pattern and problem-solving analyzer. And it has its own version of a solution. The analyzer is the analyzed. So as you analyze things, and as you're looking at things and deciding stuff and whatever, however you do it in your own inner world, um, you must remember that the one that is analyzing you is the analyzed. That means you're just one. That's how it comes to you in reality. Holding on gives you a safe sense of security. Holding on gives you roots in some kind of idea. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a nobody. I can't do this. I can do this. All these things, anything you do, anything you subscribe to and get into can be an attachment. When you're really attached in some kind of attachment you have, you are then attached. So over the years, I have uh, honed in on some of my key attachment issues. And let me tell you, when you really do the meditation work, it is not fun and it is painful. <laughs> and I'm not saying in a physical painful way, but you start becoming brutally honest with yourself when you start looking at yourself this way. And it hasn't changed the ego that much of what it is, of my ego. But it has made me vastly more aware and more positive in the world than anything else meditation has done for me. So, I look at this stuff and I think it has great utility and it'd be good to talk about it on here.
So, so after you realize that all your distractions are really just small little desires that you have and you must fulfill because you think that will get you somewhere. There's also another problem with the ego and who you generally think you are and all this is your ego may have hidden areas you may have never explored before. Jungian analysts, and that's Carl Jung, call it the shadow. Trauma, involuntary, and in some cases voluntary, you can take a teaching, method, thought, and anything you find repulsive and put it into a more subconscious state and be totally unaware of it. Like someone that outburst and all of a sudden surprised by their own action because they don't fully understand why they did it. And they got a puzzled look on their face. And they can't tell you why they reacted so badly. This, by definition, is probably a good definition of what something in shadow may present itself as in reality. Like you see some dude getting mad and doing certain things and nobody's sure why he did that. That person probably has something in shadow that he's not dealing with. Once you start working on these things, you start really understanding yourself more than you ever have before. And there is kind of a awakening. <laughs> I, you know, it's so bad because meditation gets a bad rap because, you know, some people that wear sandals go to the beach talk about it sometimes. I meditate, man, you totally. Sit down, sandal boy. <laughs> like, real meditation is being brutally honest with yourself and not having any attachment to any other thing and understanding the union that your body, soul, and mind all have together. And you really, I do believe, I strongly believe that there is a soul. The whole afterlife thing, there may be an afterlife, but it may not be for everyone. And I'm not saying they go to hell and go the traditional route that everybody talks of there. But there may be a lesson you do not attain because you didn't do, you didn't put enough plus signs here on earth the first time or the hundredth time that you've reincarnated on the planet. Let's face it, <laughs> about one in four people that you met, that you meet, are clinically have some kind of not clinically, but like they have tendencies towards psychopathy, psychopath. 
Like one in four people have psychopathic tendencies. It's a real statistic with real numbers, and real scientists that backed it all up. Go look it up if you don't believe me. But I think meditation has taught me over the years that you really have to live in the moment and understand all going around you. And all along while you do this, you never let your memories fully inform you of any situation. You come with a clean slate, just like you would when you meet somebody new. Try to be your best and all that. It's the way you should act all the time, I think. But, well, this has been my podcast. If you've hanging in this far, thank you. I appreciate it. And we'll be back probably in another couple weeks and uh, talking about some other stuff here on the Sean Boycast. Well, I thank you for listening, unicorns. Good night.